And being holy means being like God. And that means separate is only part of the definition. Aren't you glad that God's Holy Spirit lives in you even though you're not always what you're supposed to be? Somehow, God can dwell in and with people that don't always get it right. And yet, that is part of the definition of holy. It's not just what we do, it's also our calling for the kind of thing we radiate in a world that doesn't understand God. How could God ever take up residence among us if holy always means separate or distant from anything less than perfect, period? You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. Legalism is the word to describe any religious system that teaches my relationship with God is grounded in and is held secure by my good works and my good track record, which makes God owe me something. We know that there's something wrong with that. Anyone who looks in the mirror and thinks a little bit about what their life has been like and what it's like to deal with temptation and difficulties would know that if you get something in the mail that says God's been watching everything you think, say, and do, and he could not be more impressed, you'd think, well, uh, there must have been some, some muted moments in those videos. You know that story where um, they catch, catch the woman uh, in the very act of adultery and they all have stones in their hands. And Jesus says, let he without sin cast the first stone. The text is so interesting. It says that they all put their stones down. But it says from the oldest to the youngest. It's always been interesting that it's the ones who've lived a while who are the first to recognize, oh, wait a second. I can't do this. I can't do this. And all you're left with is the one 15-year-old going, where are you guys going? Right? No, I didn't mean to beat up on 15-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's something about, we look in the mirror and we know that's, that's not right. We know at the end of it all, at the sound of the last trumpet, when we stand before the Lord, we know that at that judgment seat of Christ, we're going to have one defense. And the Bible says that our defense is going to be that we're going to have a righteousness that's not our own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. We're going to point to him and say, he, he's called me. And he's faithful. And I go with him. And we know that our sense of assurance is found in this. First John puts it this way. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself to die for us. On our best day, Isaiah says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. And God knows that any good that I do is his goodness at work within me. We know this. But I want to be very careful here, because sometimes when we know this, we'll use that phrase, legalism, and think that's the same thing as the call in Scripture to become the holy, righteous, faithful, godlike people that we were called to become. Now, that's not legalism. That's holiness. The Christian's given two great commands, to love God with all you have 
and to love your neighbor the same way. And to love God involves being obedient and faithful. It means keeping his commandments. It means becoming like him in every way. And the shorthand for this, the word that is used for what this means, becoming like him in his holiness, is the word sanctification. It's the art of becoming holy. When Paul tells husbands to be like Jesus toward their wives, he has an interesting line. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. That's really significant. We spend a lot of time talking about what we were saved from. But in this passage, it says you weren't just saved from something, you were saved for something. We were saved from sin, we're saved from our past, we're saved from our guilt and shame, but it's equally important to notice that he wanted something to be different about us. He died for her to make her holy. Another way of putting it in Colossians, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Full stop, what you got is what we were saved from. But the next part is, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of light. God wanted a people who would conform to the image of his son and that would showcase his likeness to everyone everywhere, including the prince of the powers of the air. We are saved from our self-focused unrighteousness, but saved for a new life in Christ. He died to make men holy. But what does holy mean? If you struggle with what that means, you're in good company. You know, George Barna is one of these guys that does these polls every year to find out what people think. He did a study a few years ago and discovered that very few people could come up with a definition of what holy means. Even believers have a, have a hard time getting a firm grasp on this word. The first definition that probably comes to your mind is something like separate or distinct. And there's certainly something to that. The Bible says we're a distinct people. In the Old Testament, whenever, uh, like in Leviticus, whenever they were told to sanctify things, that would mean set them apart, dedicate them, consecrate them to the Lord. And that wasn't just people. That was also stuff. And it meant this is separate, set apart. And we know that there's that language in the New Testament about who we hang around with. And he says, come out from among them and be separate. There's this language of separate. Bad company corrupts good morals. We know all that. You used to be like everybody else, says Paul to the Corinthians. And he lists all kinds of practices that everybody would say, oh, yeah, yeah. That's not what God would have us be or do. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of our God. There's that word, sanctified, made holy. It's whatever God wants for his people. Certainly it involves something about separate. I mean, he means it with utter seriousness. Being sanctified is not the same thing as sanctimonious. Sanctimonious is a making a show of holiness. But sanctification is really being made holy. So part of what it means to be holy is to stop doing what is evil. And to do what is good. I mean, look at the contrasting lists in any of Paul's lists. And you'll find 
actions that describe people in the world, and in contrast, the kind of actions that describe the people of God. People are supposed to watch what we do, and we don't do, and then they're supposed to learn something about God as a result. We're called to holiness. Remember Hebrews 12, 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Okay. But there's more here than meets the eye. For one thing, God doesn't just list things we should avoid and things we should do and then call that the Christian's responsibility to shape up. No, the New Testament says that God gave us his Holy Spirit so that we might be sanctified. In some ways, you should think about it this way. It's God's job to make us holy. We need the Spirit's help, and the Spirit majors in bringing holiness to his people. And being holy means being like God. And that means separate is only part of the definition. Aren't you glad that God's Holy Spirit lives in you even though you're not always what you're supposed to be? Somehow, God can dwell in and with people that don't always get it right. And yet that is part of the definition of holy. It's not just what we do, it's also our calling for the kind of thing we radiate in a world that doesn't understand God. How could God ever take up residence among us if holy always means separate or distant from anything less than perfect purity? I think sometimes Christians face moral dilemmas. Someone or something moves into town and they're doing some things you disapprove of. So what should the Christian do in response? The answer is not always easy. And good Christians disagree about this. And there are often circumstances where, well, in this case, this makes the most sense. And in this case, this makes the most sense. I mean, one option in some cases is to ban things or boycott things or avoid things. And there's certainly time to do that. We also have another call and we have to balance. And that's the call of Jesus to be salt and light in a dark world. And the call to actually rub shoulders with the very people that we're trying to reach with the gospel makes that balancing act interesting and difficult. We're called to be holy, which in one way means different from the world, and in another way to be incarnational, like Jesus was. Many in our culture see Christians as always aloof and unapproachable. That Christians are always, you know, marking and avoiding anything that smells unchristian. And when we act that way, we're able to maintain purity, which is half of the call. But how can we purify anything else if we're not able to make a difference in the world? So I think holiness has two parts. If we're going to define holiness in terms of how God acts, one part speaks to how different he is. The other speaks to how willing he is to rub shoulders with those who are unlike him. I want to show you a passage that brings both of these out. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57 verse 15. God's name 
is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. There's the first part. And also in the heart of those who are lowly in spirit. There's the second half. What does it mean to be holy according to God? To be so high above it and also to dwell within it. Untouched by the evil, but present to help serve those wrapped up in the evil. Kevin Youngblood is one of my uh, friends and colleagues, and he once gave a sermon on holiness. And he had this line that I really think is helpful. Holiness is the combination of God's out there, his radical uniqueness, and right here, his radical relationship. God wants to connect with you. His holiness not only compels him to be unique, but it compels him to reach out so you and I may share in his holiness. The spirit makes us foreign to our culture and lovingly related to it. And that's the beautiful language of Hebrews 12 and verse 10, that we might share in his holiness. I'd like to list three ways to think of sanctification based on this idea of being so different that it's obvious we've been with Jesus and so approachable that his holiness can rub off into the culture in which we live. And there's different ways of, of saying this, but I've got three G's. Every preacher is supposed to use the same letter. So I'm going to talk about the ground of sanctification, the growing of sanctification, and the goal of sanctification. All in six minutes. All right. First, the ground. This means that we stand today as holy in the sight of God. The ground of our sanctification is the work of God seen in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 29. The blood of the covenant sanctified us. Look at how Paul refers to the church of God. In Acts 20 and verse 32, Paul gives a farewell to the Ephesian elders. And he says, now I commit to you, to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And who are all those who are sanctified? Well, it turns out everybody who belongs to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2 and verse 11, the writer says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. If you want to find a church that can be the test case for this, you got to think of the church in Corinth. I mean, come on. You're looking for people in Christ, but surely you wouldn't call them holy, would you? Paul does. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. He says to those who are sanctified in Christ. And in chapter 6, such were some of you, but you've been sanctified in the name of our God. This is why Paul can say in Romans 8 to people who struggle with sin but are in Christ, now there is no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. So the ground of our sanctification, in other words, 
what in the world could possibly make God look at me and call me holy? The answer is the blood of the covenant, the sacrifice of Christ has made us holy. God doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us in our Savior. Now I want to talk about the growing of sanctification. That's supposed to give us motivation to embrace the process by which the Spirit of God removes all the ways of our old person that we buried in baptism and creates within us a new person. We learn new habits. We want better things. We learn to trust in the Spirit's leading, and we learn to look and act more like Jesus than we did yesterday. There are verses that speak to this. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you all the way through, says Paul, to a church that's already been declared holy. But he says, may God sanctify you. Second Corinthians chapter three and verse 18 says, when we behold the face of the Lord, we are being changed into his image on a daily basis. A little boy was asked, who made you? I assume the old man that asked it probably assumed the answer would be my parents or even better, God. It's my parents. I don't want to get into that conversation. Who made you? The little boy, without missing a beat, looked at the old man and said, well, tell the truth, mister. I ain't done yet. It's a great answer. I ain't done yet. He's still working on me. And as we yield to God's spirit, we're being changed day by day, being made holy as he purifies our desires and our intentions and our desire to share Jesus with people who are not holy and don't have good intentions. I want to show you how this fits with our motivation. We are already declared holy because of what Christ did. And thus we're called to live holy as a result of that. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2 comes to mind again. To the church of God in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ and called to be his holy people. Isn't that interesting? To the church in Corinth who are already sanctified and are called to be holy. What he's saying is remember who you are. Last sense. The goal of sanctification. Why is God at work in us to make us better? He tells us why. Because one day we're going to face Jesus Christ. And the goal of the Christian inwardly is by the power of the spirit to become more and more like him. Because ultimately, that's what will be the case. Philippians 1 and verse 6. He who began a good work in you is going to stay at it and see it through to a flourishing finish on the day Christ Jesus returns. First John chapter three, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been revealed, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Okay. There's a sense in which we're all declared holy, full stop. And there's a sense in which we're all going to be made perfect, full stop. And there's a sense in which we're in the process of being made holy as we yield to God's spirit. You want to find a verse that has all three of these? I'm glad you, you asked. 
Hebrews 10 and verse 14. By one sacrifice, the ground. He made perfect forever the goal. Those that are being made holy, the growing. How do you put that together in a way that actually helps me know what I'm supposed to do this week? Christ came to do his sanctifying work. The grace of God teaches us what holiness is, what we're called to be, challenges us to live up to it by reminding us that God already sees us that way. So our calling, according to Romans 8, is to yield everything we have to the Spirit because he wants whatever part of you you're holding back from him making holy. Monty Cox is the dean over at, at the Bible department, and he once preached a sermon that had a really vivid illustration. He said, picture an aquarium, and I have two sponges. One sponge I hold lightly in an open hand, and the other sponge I close tightly in my other hand. And then I put them both into the aquarium full of water. Here's the question. Which sponge... Which sponge is in the water? You know the answer. Both of them. Which sponge is full of water? You know the answer. The one that's open to it. I always thought that was a good illustration. There are people who have been baptized and have God's spirit. Everyone who belongs to Christ has been declared holy. But we're called to yield ourselves to him so that we're not just in the water, but we're full of water. So that people can see God living in us. This is why without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because the call of the Christian is to be like God. And by the power of the Spirit, that can happen. We know the Spirit works within us. We know He lives in us. And we know He wants to make us holy. Will we let him by turning over every part of our life so that he can make it what it ought to be? Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.